So the topic for today's class is on personal sin. So having just come from Holy Week, I think um, it reminded us. It reminded all of us of our personal sins or what sin means. No, um, our sin brought brought Jesus to the cross. So I think this is a very timely class. So let us proceed with the class. So personal sin is an offense against God. Sin is always a human act. Since it requires the exercise of freedom, which is expressed in external action, words, or internal acts. So we say that it is always a human act. It is wrong to say that the structure makes a sin, which is what um, liberation theology talks about or what uh, communism talks about. So turning away from God does not necessarily represent an explicit hatred of God, but rather the distancing of oneself from God as the result of placing an apparent or finite good before mankind's supreme good, which is God. So St. Augustine describes it as love of self that reaches the point of contempt for God. So for him, sin is love of self that reaches the point of contempt for God. In this self-exaltation, Sin is diametrically opposed to the obedience of Jesus on the cross, which we saw on Good Friday, which achieves our salvation. So other evils, seemingly other evils like uh, the sickness of cancer in themselves or by itself, do not separate us from God. Although they are certainly the deprivation of a good we can we are tempted to think that cancer is an evil because it takes away a young mother from her family or from her from her very young children so for us it's a very uh, difficult thing to understand and we see it as something very bad but it is what what it is telling us here is that it is intrinsically not bad at all because the only real evil is sin. So let's talk now about mortal and venial sin or not. Venial sin leads to a sickness of the soul. It does not kill the soul yet. So that's the difference between mortal and venial sin. So mortal sin is sin whose object is, a gra is grave matter and which is also committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. So we all learned this in our catechism. Mortal sin involves a grave matter. It must be, if any of these uh, three matters is missing, then it becomes a venial sin and you do it uh, with full knowledge and consent but it is not a grave matter then it becomes a venial sin so with the whole tradition of the church 
we call mortal sin the act by which man freely and consciously rejects God. His law, the covenant of love that God offers, referring to turn in on himself or to some created and finite reality, something contrary to the divine will. This can occur in a direct and formal way in the sense of idolatry, apostasy, and atheism, or in an equivalent way as in every act of disobedience to God's commandments in a grave matter. So what is grave matter? This means that the act is intrinsically incompatible with charity and therefore therefore also with the unavoidable demands of the moral or theological virtues. And then what is full knowledge? Full knowledge is the realization that the action carried out is sinful and contrary to God's law. Deliberate and full consent of the will. One openly wills this action which one knows is contrary to God's law. In order for there to be mortal sin, it is necessary to wish to offend God directly. It is sufficient that one wishes to carry out something gravely contrary to the divine will. I think it's a good occasion now to talk about examples of mortal sin. List of mortal sins every Catholic should know. A little scary because they have so many. And they grouped it per item of the Ten Commandments. So, against the first commandment, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What are examples of mortal sins? Idolatry, divination, magic and sorcery, sacrilege, atheism. Against the second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, blasphemy, speaking ill of God, perjury and false oaths, because you do not respect the name of the Lord and you fail to keep it. Uh, in the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Deliberate failure of the Sunday obligation. The fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother. Fifth commandment, you shall not kill. What are examples of grave matter that could lead to mortal sin? Murder, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, scandal drug abuse drug abuse alcohol abuse why because it damages health and life which is a gift of god gluttony excessive love of food or a disordered passion for worldly appetites because it is against the virtue of temperance, it can constitute a grave matter. Terrorism, extreme anger, hatred, extortion. Against the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Examples of grave matter, 
adultery, divorce. It condemns those who enter into divorce and remarry. Fornication, it is the carnal union between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman. Pornography, prostitution, rape, homosexual acts, incest, masturbation. And then against the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Theft, cheating, defrauding a worker of his wages. This is one of the sins that calls that Christ to heaven for vengeance. So they say that there are four sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. And this is one of them. Defrauding a worker of his wages. And what are the other three I have here? Taking advantage of the poor. Impurity against one's nature. Engaging in sodo sodomy and voluntary murder. So these are the sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. And then unfair wagers. Uh, Wagers, betting in games of chance, if they deprive someone of what is necessary to provide for his needs and those of others. And against the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. False witness and perjury, adulation, lying. Ninth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So the sin of lust, the disordered desire or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. So avarice, I had to check that. What does avarice mean? It means an inordinate greed for earthly goods and envy. Envy is a capital sin when we say that when something is a capital sin, we say that this sin, for example, the sin of envy leads to several other sins. Okay, so those are examples of sins of a grave matter, which if there is full knowledge, and there is deliberate consent, will be a mortal sin. So I was saying that if uh, any of the three matters is absent, it becomes a venial sin. Example, when the matter is not grave, although there may be full knowledge and full consent, or when there is not full knowledge or full consent, even if the matter is grave, it is a venial sin. So if there is no consent, deliberate consent, the conditions are lacking for calling the act sinful since it would not be properly a human act. So what are the effects of mortal sin? So mortal sin results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace 
which is uh, also what we call the state of grace in our soul. We lose charity, we, we lose that sanctifying grace or state of grace. If it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, mortal sin causes us to be excluded from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell. So when a person com commits mortal sin and remains outside the state of grace, one must not receive communion. Since one cannot wish at the same time both to be united to and alienated from Christ. So when one is in a state of mortal sin and then receives communion, that person commits another sin, which is the sin of sacrilege. So mortal sins can only be repented for by going to the sacrament of confession. We need to go to the sacrament of confession to recover that state of grace for our soul. We lose our union with Christ through mortal sin, but and we also lose our union with his mystical body, the church. So the person does not stop belonging to the church, but is, as it were, a sick member, which harms the whole body. It also brings harms, harm to the human society since one, ceases being light and leaven for others, even though this may go unnoticed. Through mortal sin, any acquired merits acquired in life are lost. Although this can be recovered on receiving the sacrament of confession. So all our merits are lost. And we lose the capacity to acquire new ones when we are not in the state of grace, when we have not uh, repented of our mortal sin, and we have not gone to the sacrament of confession to really show our repentance. A person in the state of mortal sin becomes subject to the slavery of the devil. And the natural desire to do good is diminished. And there is disorder unleashed in the faculties and affections of the person. So we have to hurry to recover that state of grace for our, our soul. Once we realize that we have committed a mortal sin by going to the sacrament of confession. So what are the effects of venial sin? So venial sin weakens charity and manifests a disordered affection for created goods. It impedes the soul's progress in the exercise of the virtues and the practice of moral good, and it merits for us temporal punishment. Any sin committed merits for us um, eternal punishment, because the person we have uh, offended is God, and temporal punishment, punishment here on earth. 
when we go to confession to repent for our mortal or our venial sin or we with true contrition we ask pardon to from god the eternal punishment due to our sin is forgiven however the temporal punishment remains out of justice we have committed a sin then we have to try to um, render retribution so temporal punishment sometimes is the reason why somebody maybe lingers on in illness before dying they say that that person is um, working out the temporal punishments due to that person's sin or maybe god is using those um those moments in order for that person to help somebody maybe who is in purgatory so deliberate and unrepented venial sin disposes us little by little to commit mortal sin so we have to be careful about committing venial sins also because the frequent no deliberate and unrepented venial sin hardens our heart makes it a little more callous that it makes uh, it easier for us to commit mortal sin however venial sin does not break the covenant with god with god's grace it is humanly reparable so venial sin does not deprive the sinner of sanctifying grace or friendship with god and therefore eternal happiness god forgives our venial sins in confession and also outside the sacrament of confession when we make an act of contrition do penance being sorry for not having lived up to his infinite love for us so deliberate venial sin does not separate us totally from god but it is very unfortunate and it damages our friendship with him so we should have a horror for deliberate venial sins for a person who truly wishes to love god it makes no sense to consent to small betrayals simply because they are not mortal sins so this attitude leads us to lukewarmness what is that fundamental option what does it say the fundamental option is a moral theory which holds that the loss of sanctifying grace through mortal sin compromises a person so fully that it can only be the result of an act of radical and total opposition to God. That is of a fundamental option against God. This, this is an error, no? They are claiming that it would be almost impossible to fall into mortal sin in the course of our daily choices. Or if this were to happen, to recover the state of grace through sincere penance. Since these acts would be momentary exceptions in an overall upright life, it would be, it would be possible to justify grave faults in failing to live up to one's christian life so it's saying 
that there are three sins. It's not just mortal and venial. There's venial sin, grave, and mortal. It's saying that most of those mortals, mortal sins are only grave sins because it's almost impossible for us to commit a mortal sin because that means we are really totally against God because it would represent a conscious and irrevocable decision to offend God and would be the only sin that could separate us from God and close the doors to eternal life. What we have traditionally considered as mortal sins would now only be grave sins. And therefore, they were not committed with the positive intention of rejecting God. The church says that this is an error because there is no middle way between life and death. So there's no middle way that grave sin is the middle way that they're saying. So it's venial, grave, and mortal. There are also, no, we could also divide personal sin into uh, these options. We can distinguish between actual and habit, habitual sin. Habitual sin is the stain left in the soul by actual sin. It is the privation of grace. And then there's also personal and original sin. Personal sin, so all sin, whether external or internal, has its origin in an internal act of the will. So purely internal acts can be sins and even grave sins. And then we also have carnal and spiritual sin. Carnal sins tend in a disordered way to a sensible good. And spiritual sins are examples of which are pride. So spiritual sins could be graver. And then there are also sins of commission and sins of omission. So all sins involves a disordered voluntary act. If it leads to an action, then we call it a sin of commission. If, on the contrary, the voluntary act involves omitting some due action, it is called one of omission. Example may be sin of omission would be you see a uh, somebody who has met an a road accident but and you're the only one on the road but you do not want to be involved in hassle so you pass by do not bother to help out the person involved in the accident so that is a sin of omission, omitting to do an act of charity and helping out somebody who needs to be brought to the hospital maybe. Proliferation of sin. So sin creates a proclivity to sin. Proclivity means uh, what? An affinity to sin. 
It engenders vice by repetition of the same action, which results in perverse inclinations, which clouds one's conscience and corrupts the concrete judgment of good and evil. So sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself, but it cannot destroy the moral sense at its root. In our heart, there will always be no, the tiny voice telling us, this is a sin, this is wrong. Um, you are offending God by doing this. So capital sins are sins, are personal sins, that specially incline one to further sins, since they are the head of the other sins. One of them is pride, and then another one is avarice, which we said before is extreme greed for wealth or material gain. And then lust, other sins that can arise from lust, adultery, fornication, masturbation. That is what we mean by it is the head of other sins. From this, because of this sin, other sins um, come from it. From anger, what are the other sins that we can commit? Murder, blasphemy, and then gluttony. Also is a capital sin. Envy and sloth. Oh, sloth is uh, giving into to laziness, love of comfort. It leads us to commit more sins and maybe even a mortal sin. At times, we ourselves do not directly do evil, but we collaborate in some way with greater or lesser responsibility and moral guilt in the sinful action of other people. So we have a responsibility for the sins committed by, other, by others when we cooperate in them. When we participate directly and voluntarily in them, ordering, advising, praising, approving, by not disclosing or not hindering them when we have an obligation to do so, by protecting evildoers. So personal sins give rise to social situations opposed to God's goodness, which are called structures of sin. These are the expression and effect of the sins of each person. Structures of sin are the expression and effect of the sins of each person so all sins are personal we cannot say that a certain institution makes me sin the profession of prostitution the selling of uh, yourself the selling of, of sex maybe people will say because they are very poor they have to feed their children their family poverty has driven them to this profession. Therefore, they are not in a uh, position to not to commit this, uh, this sin. So it is the structure of society where they have remained very poor 
and the option for them is to engage in prostitution because always there is um, personal freedom and it is the choice of each person to do something or not to do something. So each, each sin is personal. Each sin is an act of a person. And then we go to the last, which is temptation. Uh, so the root of all evil lies in man's heart. So read that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Our heart can be attracted by the presence of apparent goods. So the attraction of a temptation can never be so strong that it obliges us to sin. 1 Corinthians no, chapter 10, verse 13, uh, we read there, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. So temptations can have a positive value for Christian life. It helps us grow in virtue um, just as when we say that going against the grain um, strengthens our character. So temptations helps us grow in virtue also. So it is our Lord himself who has said that um, we can endure temptation and we do not have to give in to it. So what are the causes of temptation? The causes of temptation can be reduced to three. The world, the world not as God's creation because all that God created is good. But the world through the disorder of sin to turn to created beings with a materialist and pagan environment. And then another cause of temptation is the devil who urges us to sin but does not have the power to make us sin. So we have to bear that in mind. The devil can just uh, propose or show us uh, very big temptations but that devil has no power over our will. It cannot make us sin. It cannot make us uh, choose to sin. It can just make um, the sin very attractive. But it cannot force us to commit that sin unless we give our consent to it. So the devil's temptations are rejected with prayer. And then the third cause of temptation is the flesh or concupiscence, the disorder in the powers of our soul that, that stems from original sin, our in that inclination to sin. So these temptations are overcome with mortification and penance and with the decision not to dialogue with them 
and to be, to be sincere in spiritual direction without covering them up with unreasonable reasons. So to combat temptations, we need to be very sincere with God, ourselves, and we have to be very sincere in spiritual direction. And then we need to flee from occasions of sin also. We need to flee from circumstances that arise with greater or less voluntariness and that represent a temptation for us. We should do everything possible to turn proximate occasions of sin into remote ones. In so far as possible, we also need to avoid continuous remote occasions which undermine the spiritual life and predispose one to grave sin.